It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, October 22, 2020. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The unofficial results from the city and borough of Yakutat's local election are in. The polls closed on Tuesday at 8 p.m. KCAW's Erin McKinstry has the numbers. The mayor's seat, three seats on the borough assembly, and two seats on the Yakutat School District School Board were all up for re-election this year. The unofficial results show a mixture of newcomers and incumbents winning the open seats. In the race for borough mayor, incumbent Cindy Bremner is projected to win by a landslide with 149 votes. That's compared to her opponent, Ralph Wolf's 39 votes. It was a tighter race for the three open borough assembly seats. Newcomers Austin Pajak and Larry Bemis were elected to two-year terms with 120 votes and 100 votes, respectively. The race for the third open seat is close enough the results could change once the questioned and absentee ballots are counted. Currently, incumbent Samson Demert is the likely winner with 93 votes. Trailing behind are Herb Holcomb with 77 votes, incumbent Sherry A. Nelson with 74 votes, and Valerie Jensen with 67 votes. Martha Malott and Christy Schumacher beat Brenda A. Bird in a three-way race for two open school board seats. Malott received 163 votes, Schumacher received 134, and Bird received 39. In total, 213 ballots were cast. The Canvas Committee is set to meet next week to count the four question ballots and 18 absentee ballots. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. For election results for all of the KCAW listening communities, visit the Election Hub on our website, kcaw.org. There, you'll also find sample ballots for the November 3rd general election, interviews and debates between candidates for House District 35, and reporting on ballot measures 1 and 2. The Sitka Assembly has spent the last few months doling out $14 million in federal CARES Act funding to the community. While it's set to distribute more of those funds in November, several recipients from the first round of business and nonprofit grants appealed to the Assembly for more money. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Acting as a judicial body at a special meeting on Tuesday night, the Assembly turned down all 10 appeals from businesses seeking more CARES Act funding. The city originally budgeted $5 million of the federal coronavirus relief money for business and nonprofit grants. Just over 600 applicants were approved in the first round in September, with an average award of around $4,500. The remaining funds will go toward a second wave of grants for businesses. City Administrator John Leach said that the first wave had strict parameters. Applicants were awarded small amounts based on revenue from previous years. There were some hard numbers and, and some, I would say, some, some gates you had to hit to become eligible for certain um, sizes of grants. Leach said that applicants who qualified for some money but appealed for more funding will receive at least the amount they're eligible for. Some applicants requested special consideration for a higher award, citing extenuating circumstances they hoped would qualify them for more funding. Finance was the ones that approved or denied the applications. I was the first line appeal. Uh, and then this is the second line appeal coming to the assembly after the after the letters went out. The 10 appellants ranged from businesses in visitor and fishing industries to nonprofits and transportation. Most of them qualified for some funding initially. Each had three minutes to state their case before the assembly for more or in one case any funding. All of their circumstances were different, from a fishing business describing a slow start to its season to nonprofits that had to cancel major fundraisers due to the coronavirus. One appellant, local photographer Dan Evans, who owns Northern Images, spelled out some of the challenges he'd experienced this year. This year, you know, I usually make about 2,000 calendars. 
And when it rolled into spring, I decided not a good idea because the stores weren't buying. And um, so I thought, well, I'll just wait till fall. Maybe I'll do a half a run and maybe bump the price up a little, see if I can make it work. And then, you know, these sales that come up in Christmas, that's kind of my bread and butter time for that. And um, that's all gone, so I just didn't do the calendar this year. I'm lucky, I have, I do more than one thing, so I'm, I'm okay. But that's my loss in that business, um, which is pretty substantial. Evans only qualified for one grant in the initial round, though he'd applied for relief for his two existing businesses. Businesses filing under the same tax ID number only qualified for one City CARES Act grant. The business Takina Adventures didn't qualify for any funding because they had no gross revenue from 2018 or 2019. Owner Serena Wilde said they were just getting their tour operation off the ground this spring when people started canceling due to the pandemic. And out of the bookings that we had this year, Half of our bookings that were supposed to come this summer rebooked for 2021 and did not come this year. So our season ended up being maybe a quarter booked when we were on track to be fully booked by May. The assembly tried to figure out how to help them, but couldn't find a workaround. And after some discussion with the finance department, city attorney Brian Hansen said the projected 2020 losses and canceled bookings wouldn't satisfy the requirements for the program. Ultimately, the Assembly deemed none of the appellants were eligible for a different level of funding than they were initially awarded. Mayor Steven Eisenbeis said the process was painful. That beat me up. Um, that really wasn't very fun at all. And I know the, the applicants um, are, are probably walking away feeling the same way this evening. You know, I think unfortunately uh, we're, we're within some pretty strict federal guidelines on this, and I don't know that, that we had much leeway tonight. Um, but I guess I just do want to say that every one of you are essential to our community, that every, every applicant that came forward uh, is essential. Every business that received some sort of funding uh, and didn't come forward, you're, you're also essential to our community tonight. So I don't, I don't want people to walk away from this process this evening feeling extremely discouraged. Eisenbeis encouraged appellants to apply for the second round of CARES Act business and nonprofit funding. The requirements are more intensive for the second round, but the grant amounts are bigger. Those applications are due on October 30th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Alaska's Supreme Court is weighing the legality of a raw fish tax that's pumped at least $25 million into coastal communities over the last five years. But as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, a lawsuit filed by a Washington state catcher processor could change that. Since the 1990s, the state has taxed seafood caught by factory trawlers and floating processors through the fisheries resource landing tax. Even though the fish is caught outside the three-mile line in what's considered federal waters, it's often brought to Alaska fishing ports before loaded on cargo vessels and shipped overseas. But seafood company Fisherman's Finest has challenged the state's tax in court, arguing it violates a pair of provisions of the U.S. Constitution that restricts coastal states from imposing tariffs or duties on goods brought in and out of a state. Attorney Jim Torgensen told the Alaska Supreme Court on Wednesday that in 1996, the U.S. Supreme Court wrote, it has never upheld a state tax assessed directly on goods in import or export transit. Yet the state is here today asking this court to uphold a state tax assessed directly on goods in export transit. The Washington-based company won a lower court decision last year, saying the fish tax is unconstitutional. But the state of Alaska has appealed. 
Assistant Attorney General Laura Fox told the justices that the framers of the U.S. Constitution weren't interested in giving some taxpayers preferential treatment. Catcher processor operations take advantage of Alaska to further their business, and Alaska's landing tax merely requires them to pay their fair share for doing business in Alaska like other businesses do. This fish tax brought in nearly $42 million over the past four years. More than half of that was shared with Alaska fishing ports. But nowhere is the revenue more significant than on Alaska, where Dutch Harbor is home port of the lucrative Pollock fishery. I think they should pay. They use our services to, to be able to get their product to market. Dennis Robinson is vice mayor of the city, which collected about $4.6 million from the raw fish tax in 2019. He told Coast Alaska that if the tax is struck down, the city could establish its own excise tax, but that wouldn't do much for the rest of the state. We would like to see, as a city, we'd like to see that, that tax remain in effect, and not only for our own interests, but for the interests of the state. The Supreme Court justices only asked a few questions. It's not clear when they'll rule whether Alaska's fisheries resource landing tax is legal under the U.S. Constitution. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. The Iranian government was behind the emails Tuesday that threatened Alaska voters to vote for Trump or else, federal officials said Wednesday evening. The director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, identified the alleged perpetrator at a news conference late in the day, saying Iran had sent spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters and incite social unrest. You may have seen some reporting on this in the last 24 hours, or you may have even been one of the recipients of those emails. The emails were sent to Alaskans in more than a dozen communities Tuesday, according to social media posts and copies shared with Alaska Public Media. The messages appeared to target registered Democrats and also went to voters in Florida. One of the email addresses used by the senders suggested that they were linked to the Proud Boys, a far-right group known for its violent demonstrations. But the group's leaders denied any involvement, and cybersecurity experts said that the senders relied on servers in the Middle East, Estonia, and Singapore. Amid a heated presidential election, federal officials have said they're on the watch for voter intimidation and election interference. Ratcliffe said at a news conference that both Iran and Russia have obtained some American voter registration information and that they hope to use it to undermine people's confidence in their democracy. These actions are desperate attempts by desperate adversaries. Even if the adversaries pursue further attempts to intimidate or attempt to undermine voter confidence, know that our election systems are resilient and you can be confident your votes are secure. In a prepared statement, a spokesman for Congressman Don Young says the representative takes election security very seriously and that he knows Alaskans won't be intimidated by foreign adversaries like Iran. Neither of Alaska's U.S. senators immediately responded to requests for comment. I'm Aaron Fulton, and this has been Raven News.